Today, a very interesting topic. And please, when you hear the word ops, do not stop this podcast. Surely you've heard of systems ops and data ops. But in this new world of machine learning and AI, where data basically writes code and algorithms, ML ops has emerged as something much broader. It's important and so different that a huge community has developed around this space. Our guest today lead an ML ops community, which includes them co-hosting a podcast. I might be outnumbered, but hopefully I'm not too intimidated. I'm John Pryle. Welcome to Georgian's Impact Podcast. Gentlemen, great to have you here. And it's my pleasure to leave your introductions to each one of you. Well, my name is David Aponte, and I'm a machine learning engineer. I work on machine learning infrastructure at a company called Benevolent AI. I also am an organizer for the MLOps community, helping develop content, helping organize things. And yeah, I love what I do. I love to build stuff. I love to code and I love to solve hard problems. Well, since this recording, let me just let you know, David has taken on a new role and he's a software engineer at Microsoft and he's focusing on ML ops. My name is Dimitrios Brinkman. I am the self-titled chief happiness engineer at the ML ops community. Basically, I go around and try and organize everything, make sure it runs without a hitch. And I also am doing a lot of stuff in the ethical AI space. I work with a company called Ethics Grade, and we're grading different companies on their ethical AI initiatives. Running a community, doing interesting jobs. Wow, that's just great. Let's get started. Who can just define for me what the MLOps community is, how big it is? Uh, tell me about the MLOps community. Yeah. Recently, we just turned one year old and we are pushing around 3,600 people in Slack right now, which is the main place where we congregate. We've got another 2,100, 2,200 subscribers on YouTube and a couple, like I think three to 400 people on podcast land. But the spot that we really like have a lot of the community feel is in Slack. And that's where people can come. They ask questions, they get answers. We make jokes. We have memes about different things that are happening in the industry. And so that's the spot. And just to get a sense of the breadth besides the people, how many channels are in that? Slack. Yeah, I mean, then we have all sorts of channels. Uh, one for fresh jams, if you want to listen to some good music. Uh, another one uh, special, special for vendors, if they want to just talk their talk there. We have a shameless channel. Yeah. We have a ML Ops questions answer channel, which is probably one of our more, more popular channels. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so many engineering labs channel, lear- uh, learning resources channel, open source channel, data science channel, explainable AI. I mean, we got so many, and there's new ones popping up all the time it's great my but my favorite these days is probably the bad startup ideas <laughs> yeah that's a really funny one actually yeah it's a good one so excellent well yeah, there's a there's a great reason for people to go so i i'd like to get a, a definitional statement talk a bit about ml ops and i think the way i'd like to ask you the question you've been around about a year i don't know how long ml ops has 
been around as an entity, but maybe the best way from to help me and to help our audience is maybe to compare it with data ops. So, you know, my view is data, there's data scientists, data analysts, they've been around, there's the Cloudera's and the Splunks and things like data lakes, but now we have this ML ops. What's the same and what's different in terms of how these people do things? I think that's a great question. It's probably one of the first questions that most stakeholders will ask when they hear words like MLOps or things of that nature. So I think everyone's going to have a bit of a different answer to this. So I'll give you mine. I would consider MLOps as not just the model component, but actually covering the entire life cycle of a machine learning workflow. So everything from getting the data that you need to train your model to then outputting those predictions and monitoring that. All of that requires lots of different disciplines, uh, lots of different priorities, and lots of different stakeholders from data engineers, machine learning engineers, data scientists, product managers, and even senior leadership should be involved in that as well. As a big part of what I would say machine learning ops is or ML ops is, is unifying machine learning system development and machine learning system operations. So again, it's the development where machine learning is really challenging to organize as most of it is research. Most of it is still experimental. You're iterating on ideas, trying new ideas out. And that is, is like science, you know, it's, 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 and like we've spoken to people who are very adamant about communicating that, that machine learning is still research. And I think that's important to echo because it is not something that is, uh, I mean, it's been around for, I guess you could say a while, but not in its full form now, and definitely not at the scale at which people are using it. And now machine learning is going into almost every industry. So going to your question about the difference between ML ops and data ops, I actually wouldn't see much of a difference between them. I would say though, that it is somewhat useful to differentiate them. So I would argue that MLOps encapsulates the data ops component, but for people who think that it's better to separate them, I guess one of the biggest differences there is that machine learning ops has that additional layer of the model. So when a model learns, it learns it's behavior based off the data. And sometimes there's randomness involved there. So it's a little bit different there from traditional software. Another layer is that the machine learning component also has that data component. They're very closely related. The quality of the data affects the quality of the model. And then there's the operation side, the monitoring, the infrastructure, all of those things that support that for all sorts of environments and all sorts of business use cases. There, there's a little bit more precedent from the world of DevOps and from the world of you know, mature software engineering. But in general, I actually see a lot of these things as overlapping. So sorry if my answer isn't that helpful, but I would argue that MLOps actually captures that the, the data component of the machine learning lifecycle. It's interesting that you say that because within MLOps, you can nest data ops, but within data ops, you cannot nest MLOps because you can have data, but you don't necessarily need to be doing machine learning on it. But with MLOps, it's implying that you're doing machine learning with it. Let me have Demetrius comment on this. I just talked about a much broader set of capabilities. You mentioned, for example, product management, which in theory could be part of data ops, but I feel like it's a little more narrow cast. You go into the data ops team, get what they need to do, and then there's a whole product management. It feels like, and maybe that's the nature of iterating with ML and the data keeps changing and, and you're re refining your models versus once I get my, maybe I don't want to demean data ops, you get your report done, you're sort of done. Demetrius, you think David is explaining something much broader, I mean, more so than getting beyond just ML, but into this whole product world. Well, I think that's a great challenge these days with machine learning is the product management 
And that's something that we talk about in the community quite a bit because it's a moving target. And we say that a lot. It's never so clear. And because you have, like, it's called data science, right? There, there's a science behind it. And machine learning, when you're creating these models, it's never clear, A, if you can do what you really want to do, if you can create a model that has the accuracy score or it's able to to predict things that you need it to predict because you may not have the data or it just might be more difficult than you anticipated. So a product manager in the machine learning field, it's a very interesting job to have and tip of the hat to him for sure, because it's not easy. I would just only add to that, that, you know, one of the differences there is that I guess what makes it a little bit more challenging when you have machine learning or AI in a product is the outputs of that is all learned behavior from the data. And then, you know, you get into the question of like, what is it learning? Is it learning things that we want it to learn? Is it, what are we optimizing for? You know, a good example is like YouTube where there, I forget when this, when this happened, but when they started using neural networks that they were optimizing for engagement and it really worked. Like, I mean, they, that you watch some YouTube videos, you will go down that rabbit hole and they're good at doing that. But there's the interesting question of is that what we want to optimize for? Do we want to optimize for diversity? Do we want to make sure that what they're learning is ethical, that it's giving a, a fair representation of whatever it is that they're learning? And it's all of these scientific questions, these quality concern questions that I think are outside of the scope of traditional software development. So a product manager now has to take on that additional complexity, has to understand these additional questions that may be outside of the scope of a, a traditional software product, but now because it's embedded into the product, and if not the heart of what that product is doing for a lot of applications, it becomes even more you know, complicated, I guess. And so I think I would just say that they have to now think about the fact that the machine learning isn't like we don't always know what it's learning and what the outputs are and whether or not those answers are the answers that we actually want. Like, are those the predictions what we want it to do? Or do we want this person to be learning uh, what they, what we think will keep them engaged when it could potentially lead them down paths that could be harmful. There was a podcast about some extremists getting influenced by what was being recommended on YouTube. So again, it could have some real big implications on what we're exposed to because the algorithm is essentially, it's, it's narrowing down that search space. It's telling you what to watch in a lot of the places. And it's so good at what it does that we end up watching that. But there's some interesting questions around, is that what we want it to do? Was that really the right thing to do? And these are ethical questions now. So again, it just becomes more complicated, I think. First, that podcast, I think you referred to was the New York Times series called Rabbit Hole. And I do recommend that it. it was an astounding podcast. But you covered two pieces, David. One was accuracy, that the model's doing is working and then there's bias. And I could be accurate and give you heart attack data for white males because that's in the data. And maybe that's useful if I'm a white male going to a doctor, but maybe not useful if I'm something other than that. There's an element of accuracy and bias. How do you address that? How do you think about that? How does your community think about those, those two sides of the coin? That's a great question, a very hard question, and uh, it's something that we're still working on, I think, as a community. I was actually, this is, this is where I think MLOps is going to get really interesting, because this is not just about engineering. This is about, like, again, the science behind what's going on in all of this engineering. You mentioned, like, what are we trying to do about that? Now, I guess what MLOps is really trying to do in a lot of ways is automate some of these processes to enable this sort of DevOps workflow where you're continuously integrating and continuously delivering. 
But when you have that and you have all the science there, now you need to try to automate the science, okay? Uh, automatically validating the quality of, of the data, automatically validating the quality of the model, knowing whether or not it's good to promote or we need to do retrain it. So there's all these sorts of things that now in this, like you could look at it as like a pipeline that are being specialized components that are focusing on specific parts of that problem. You mentioned bias. So there's like a tool dedicated to detecting bias, quantifying bias, and using that for to allow a team to develop a legal strategy even. There's other products or services that are focused on automatically detecting whether or not your model is, is outputting something that could be model drift. So there's like all sorts of services that are specializing on specific parts of the problem. And some of these services are still experimental, like let's say using machine learning to detect bias or something like that could be something that I've seen in a paper. And that's really cool because, you know, that's not something that I think there's much precedent on, you know, that you have to now think about developing these things from scratch. So there's engineering challenges there, but there's also the science. There's all these new techniques on uh, understanding the quality of the data and also the quality of the model. So I think MLOps is, is going to, you're going to see more and more of these sort of researchy fields, you know, specializing in one specific component of the, the machine machine learning workflow like bias or another one that I saw, this is product called ease.ml. And they have a whole ecosystem of tools dedicated to these different particular components of the ML workflow. But again, I think we're going to see more and more of that as, uh, as it matures. It's still in the early phases of that. I will say too that every meetup that we've had so far that talked more about the ethical issues within the MLOps community, they're the lowest attended and... So I, I find it fascinating because it feels like for the engineers, it's not really on their mind, the ethical concerns. They're more about just, hey, how do I build? What's the best way to optimize this and make it better? But like David is saying, this is something that is going to need to start coming into the conversation and it's already starting. It's coming up more and more. So we're going to be seeing it happen and it should be top of mind for engineers. We'll just see if the interest is there and if it picks up. Are you making an overt outreach to diversify the community so it's not just engineers, that it's sociologists, it's ethicists, it's lawyers? Do you feel like you need to make a more active recruitment? We haven't done that. Uh, now that you say it, it's probably something that could be interesting. I mean, I feel like the community at the moment is so technical and we have only one or two of these ethical channels like explainable AI and, and such that there isn't something for that breed of person that, that is very much into the ethical side. But I do see there needs to be like the marrying between the two, the ethical side and the technical side. I feel like that is something that definitely needs to happen. I also think that you're know, just thinking about like the right team structure, what type of people should you have for a machine learning team or a machine learning infrastructure team? I definitely think there needs to be 
a diverse set of stakeholders. MLOps is not just a technical problem. And we've talked about this in other podcasts, but uh, I think that's important to reiterate here that like you're mentioning, we we don't need only engineers. We need domain experts, especially if you're, you know, like for example, benevolent AI, where it's drug discovery. There's a lot of knowledge there about biology, about chemistry, about how to develop drugs, how to test drugs, you know, farm there's, you know, that industry has been around for a while. And I think you need that when you're thinking about, okay, what data do I want to get? What models do I want to build? So you need a mixture of those things. I think it's this new sort of concern with ethics. I also think that's really important. Like, you know, your company could be liable if you're not thinking about some of these things. So it's it's becoming more and more important. And I think like you're kind of getting at, we need to diversify the people that are going to be included in these ML teams so that it's not just a bunch of tech people, you know, there's, it's because then we're kind of getting more of the same stuff. We need some different perspectives. And I think some companies are already doing that. When we look at companies like Google or Microsoft and the sort of roles that they're developing in this field, like there, there's all sorts of new roles that are coming out and working alongside machine learning teams that are not just technical stakeholders. And that says something that says that this is not just a technical problem. And in addition to the diversity of roles, just on the more the basics of MLOps, as you think about, when I think about agile development and scrum masters, it's not necessarily a programmer that's evolved to be a scrum master. It could be a really good project manager type of skills. Do you see that evolving more so the people are kind of project managing and becoming the right type of leader in an MLOps role and what backgrounds work the best? So first with like the, what type of backgrounds work best, it depends on what type of, you know, work you're doing. So let's say if you're working as a machine learning engineer or MLOps engineer, whatever, whatever the role is, data engineer, obviously having a good understanding of software engineering is, goes a long way. But then as, as, as we, a lot of us know, machine learning is, is also math, you know, it's a lot of applied math. So you need to understand some of those things. And I would say, even people that are involved in the monitoring stage should understand those things. You know, you have a good understanding of basic statistics, distributions, and understanding how to evaluate the quality of the data at every level. And that, that, that could even happen with, let's say, if you have an SRE type of person on your team responsible for maintaining the reliability of your, of your machine learning infrastructure, they will often have to monitor, you know, how much CPU or memory you're using. And there you're applying, you need analytical skills. But then if you're monitoring the distribution of like some predictions or some input features, then you need to know more about the data science side of things. So it really depends upon the role that you're trying to aim for. I would say if you're, if you're, you know, there's lots of different roles. And I do think that there is more and more kind of product managers, project managers coming into play. I feel like it must be challenging because you have to now not just understand product, software development, you know, you mentioned these sort of ways of working, but now you have to think about all those added pieces of complexity. So I, I think that a, a product manager for a machine learning product should have a decent sense of the basics of what, what's going on. You know, the data science, maybe a little bit of the math and how to monitor it. And some of the concerns that I guess would come up, what are, what are the problems that can come up in a system like this? That way, you know, there's more common language. If it's just the engineers focusing on these things, then it's not going to be you know, solved And I guess the best way. Yeah. A lot of the time when I do talk to product managers, they'll say how half if not more of their job is just being a translator translating from the the business side to the engineering or data scientists because what you don't realize is yeah you'll have the business side and say hey we want xyz and maybe the data scientists can do that they can create a model that does that but it's not like you really understand that directly 
right? You have to be able to understand really what they're looking for. And as David said earlier, like you have to have these deep subject matter experts that are asking for something. And then you have the data scientist or someone that is able to understand what exactly they're asking for and how can I make that a reality? We've got data centers, we've got hybrid private clouds, we've got clouds, and yet we're constantly iterating on these models. And I get nervous about how something goes in production. But don't forget, I'm an, I'm an old school person, as you know, <laughs> my days of development were waterfalls. So it's like a different world here. And now this is fast and moving. How do you even think about things like that? Well, just you mentioned like the cloud, right? How is the, the cloud affecting all this? I think it's it's accelerating the rate of development. Now, you know, for example, you think about scalability and building systems that are robust to millions of users. You know, some of these websites or these companies could have, you know, 50 million users in a day. When you have this much scale, it's hard to do that all on your own. So moving your workloads to the cloud allows you to really essentially have infinite compute, infinite resources for the money. That's the thing. You have to pay a lot of money for the cloud, for these managed services, and even for the compute itself. If you want to just use like a virtual machine and, and run your workloads on that uh, or stand up infrastructure like using your own Kubernetes cluster, which is what we do at Benevolent. Either way, it allows you to scale out. It allows you to meet the demand of today's, you know, the, the traffic that we're dealing with today. There's so many users and it's only getting more and more. And so you have to think about how do you do that at scale? And realistically, more and more companies are moving their workloads to the cloud as they have great services. A lot of these providers like GCP, AWS, or Azure have so many great, even MLOps specific services that are managed that will scale, you know, can handle the scale that some of these big companies have. And I think that that's changing things a lot, you know, because before that, either you had your own data center or you had your own server, your own, your own rack that you were maintaining, you needed to have experts maintaining that, you know, and, and making that better. But now you can kind of, you know, offset that cost or move that cost to AWS or GCP. And they're really good at what they do. The services that they provide are awesome. And I think that that's going to make machine learning development a little easier to do. As now, you know, there's there's access to specialized hardware like GPUs and TPUs. These are things that are really expensive and not every person has the ability to, you know, has access to that. But the cloud gives you that. And, and they're even giving offerings that allow, you know, people to start, at, you know, using the cloud. Like if you sign up for GCP, you get $300 uh, worth of credit, I believe. And you could just spin up and start playing around with things. So I think it's, it's, it's lowering the barrier to entry. And it's also uh, supporting the acceleration of development. And in particular for machine learning, because of the, you know, the specialized hardware and all of these different services that are really complicated to stand up. Well, the accessibility of this is a big deal. So let me, this, this was short and sweet and really, I think, great content. Let me ask Demetrios, we'll put in our show notes, MLOps community, uh, the, your podcast and things, but kind of give me a wrap as to why we should get more people kind of following what the two of you are doing, which I think is really great work. Right now, it feels like, what we're trying to do is demystify this space. It's so new and there's so many different tools. There's so many different processes. There's so many different architectures that all these companies that are out front, we could say, are leading the way. They're coming out with blog posts. They're showing what the ways that they're doing it. But if you're at a startup or you're a one-man band, maybe it's difficult to figure out how you can bridge that gap and you're looking to the 
tools that are on offering and you don't understand which ones are perfect for my need right now because it's so confusing. There's so many different options and there's so many ways to do this. It makes it really difficult to figure out what's best for my use case. And so that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to demystify this space so that it is a bit more clear and so that people can come and have a place to ask questions or learn from the ones that are a little bit further ahead of them in this journey. That's just a great close. I, I think hopefully we'll drive more people to your sites and to get this information. Clearly the world of programming has changed. It's data-driven, it's ML-driven. We got to get it right. We got to iterate. We got to keep the bias out. We got uh, so much to be done. I think it's it's such an exciting space. David, Demetrius, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. It was just a pleasure. It was an absolute pleasure. For anyone listening, feel free to reach out to us. We highly encourage you guys to check out the MLOps community. Pop in, introduce yourself, ask your question, or just say hi. And I think on that note, we'll just... Tell if you want more information, we'll get it out there for the community, uh, for the MLOps community. Fantastic dialogue. Just thank you so much.